Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we are headed as a church. Once again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. I want to begin today with a little bit of audience participation, all right? So I'm going to ask you to, to speak to me for just a second, and I want to start by, I want you to think about in your mind, what is your favorite verse of Scripture in the Bible. So what's your favorite verse? Now, you may have a hard time narrowing it down to just one. That's okay. Just pick one of the several that you're thinking about right now. And in just a moment, on the count of three, I want you to all out loud together say the reference. We're not going to quote the whole verse. You're just going to say where it's found. If it's John 4, 25, whatever it may be, I want you to say that verse out loud on the count of three. So you got your verse in your mind? You ready? All right, one, two, three, go. <laughs> Whole bunch of different verses, right? No, we didn't all shout the same verse. Why is that? Because what God's invited us into is a relationship. And relationally, as we pursue him in his word, God speaks to us through different parts of the scripture. Maybe the verse that you shouted out is a verse that God used to really carry you through a deep, dark valley. Or maybe the verse that you shouted out is a verse that God used to speak to you intimately when you really needed to hear from God. We all have favorite verses. As a matter of fact, there was an article recently in Christianity Today. And the article was called, The Five Most Popular Verses in America. You say, how did they ever figure that out? Well, the way the article did it is they did it based on internet searches. So they looked over the course of the last year, and the five most searched for verses in the scriptures they put in this article of the five most popular verses. So I want you to see if you know these five verses, and maybe one of them happens to be your verse that you shouted out. The first one, kind of a softball toss, all right? You probably know what the first one's going to be. Here it is. John, what? 3.16, right? So what does that one say? For God so loved the world, right? Now, we're not going to quote the whole thing. You, you know it. You're going to get to quote it later. You can do it when you get home. I got too much to say today to quote all these verses the whole way out. So, um, but, but that's a favorite verse of scripture in America. Let me show you a second one. A little bit tougher. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Some of you are going, uh-oh, I don't know about that one. You know it as soon as we start to say it. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. And it goes on to say these are plans to bring you hope and, and benefit and not to hurt you. That's, that's a verse of Scripture a lot of people love. Here's a third one. Again, everybody's going to know this one. Philippians 4. 13, right? Let's say it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4, 13. Here's number five. This one's going to be a little bit of a curveball. Psalm 23, 4. Because you wanted to go, oh, the Lord is my shepherd. No, no, no. You got to get down to verse 4. What's verse 4? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Psalm 23, 4. And here's number five. Romans 
8, 28, right? We know that one. And we know that God causes what? All things to do what? To work together. for So, five verses that are some of the most popular verses in America. Maybe one of yours was up here in the list of five. The reason I highlighted that is because there's another verse of Scripture that I want to teach from today. Very popular verse of Scripture. You probably don't know it by its reference. Here's the reference. Psalm 19, 14. But when I start to say the verse, you will know the verse. But to be quite honest, before I studied it over the last couple of weeks, there were some things about this verse that I really didn't understand. And God showed me so much that I hope it speaks to you the way it spoke to me. So here's Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my what? Rock and my Redeemer. Very popular verse of Scripture, a lot of insight. But I want you, what I want you to notice is the verse of Scripture that we're going to focus on today deals with the heart. We've set aside the month of January, and we're doing a series that we're really talking about preparing our hearts for the year ahead. There are a lot of layers to this journey. We invited you on a 21-day journey starting on January the 6th, running all the way through the end of the month, the last Sunday, Sunday, Monday of the month. And there are a lot of parts to the journey. As you came in today in your seat, there was a little card that has a website on the back of it. That website, if you type that into a search engine, will take you to a page where you can see all the layers of this journey. For example, we got a big serve day going on. We got a 21-day, 24-hour-a-day prayer vigil going on. There's all kinds of layers to the journey. God time devotionals that have been written on our webpage for you. But I want to highlight two pieces of the journey before I dig into Psalm 19. First of all, the last weekend of this month, not this coming Sunday, but the following Sunday... We've set aside a unique gather time for us to come together. It's kicking off the year, preparing our hearts for the year ahead. Normally on Sunday, we do four services. Three in the morning, one at night on Sunday, and they're all four identical. That weekend, we're going to have five services, and they're going to be different. Here's what that means. The first three on Sunday morning... 815, 9:45, 11:30 will all be the same service. We'll have a guest speaker for the morning. But then Sunday night, we're encouraging everybody to come back on Sunday night and we have a special guest speaker on Sunday night. And then we have a service on Monday night that's another completely different service with a different guest speaker. Let me tell you who's going to come be with us. Look at the screen. On Sunday morning, we have my friend David Choi. He's a Korean pastor from a church in Chicago called the Church of the Beloved. You are going to love David Choi. On Sunday evening, we have Daniel Henderson. Daniel preached here a few weeks ago. Daniel's the guy I told you about who used to be on staff with John MacArthur, served on staff with Jim Cimbala. God's given him a passion for prayer, spiritual awakening. So Daniel will be here on Sunday evening. Then on Monday evening, we got this guy you probably never heard of before named Dr. Tony Evans. Monday night, Dr. Tony Evans is going to be here and blow the roof off the building. If you've never heard Dr. Tony Evans preach, in my opinion, Tony Evans is probably the greatest preacher in the United States of America. God's given him a unique ability to articulate God's word, and you are in store for a 
retreat. So I want you to be praying and planning to attend as many of those gather times as you can that weekend. Secondly, at that special gather weekend, we've set aside what we're calling an above and beyond offering. We're asking you to pray this month about a a financial gift that you would make above and beyond your regular tithes and offerings that will be given away 100%. On Monday evening, we're going to collect this offering, and everything that comes in is going to be given away to two mission agencies, the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board. Those are agencies we partner with as a church. Let me give you some information about those two agencies. For starters, North American Mission Board has... uh, over 5,000 missionaries that they support throughout North America and last year planted 732 new churches through churches like Hope Church. Uh, the two churches that we planted this, that started this morning are a part of this SIN network that is a, being resourced and supported by the North American Mission Board. Then the International Mission Board has over 3,500 missionaries. Last year saw 45,000 people baptized publicly declaring their faith in Jesus Christ. Last year, globally, in over 180 nations, saw over 4,500 new churches started, and 811 people groups who'd never heard about Jesus were engaged with the gospel for the very first time. So we want you to pray Monday evening. Everything that comes in the offering Monday evening, after Dr. Tony Evans speaks, everything we give, 100% of it, we're giving away to those two mission agencies. So a lot going on this month, a lot to be praying about, but let's dig in today to Psalm 19 verse 14. Let's look up here again. I want us to read it off the screen together. Psalm 19 verse 14. Let's go. One, two, three. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I want to ask and answer four questions out of this verse, and we'll be done today. Here's the first one. What is the meditation of my heart? It's one of those phrases we use it in church all the time. We've quoted that verse, Lord, let the meditation. What is the meditation of my heart? Because the word meditation means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For example, if you do a Google search of the word meditation, you'll get all kinds of definitions. Let me give you a couple. One of them says meditation is a set of techniques that are intended to encourage a heightened sense of focus and attention. It's where they go on to describe to you sitting on the floor, crossing your legs, holding out your hands, and hum. I'm now meditating, right? That's not what Psalmist is talking about. It's not what he's talking about. Here's another one. One definition says meditation is a state of deep peace that occurs when the mind is calm and silent. They go on to describe it as an emptying of the mind. So meditation is you trying to somehow empty your mind. You know the problem with that? The Bible teaches just the opposite. The Bible doesn't talk to us about emptying the mind. The Bible talks about filling the mind with the right things. The Bible says, let your mind dwell, set your mind on the things above. In Philippians, the Bible says that we're to allow our heart to dwell on whatever is right and pure and lovely and of good repute. So that's not what the psalmist is talking about, an emptying of the mind. Spiritually, sometimes as Christians, we define meditation like this. Quiet contemplation of spiritual truth. 
It's a picture of taking a verse of Scripture and memorizing it. And as a spiritual discipline, we begin to meditate on that verse of Scripture. You say, what does that mean? It's the picture of, of taking that verse and bringing it back up to our mind. Kind of like a, you know, a cow will chew its cud. What am I talking about? I'm talking to a bunch of city folk. You don't know what I'm talking about with a cow chewing its cud. But just pretend like you do. We don't have time to unpack it. But, but we, we take a verse of Scripture and we bring it back up to our mind over and over again. And we're chewing on that verse of Scripture. That's the spiritual discipline of meditation. But even that is not what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 19. The word meditation that the psalmist uses is a Hebrew word that literally means to talk. In particular, it means to talk in a whisper. And as this word is used throughout the Old Testament, throughout Scripture, it's a word that refers to the thoughts Or the musing that takes place internally. So our teaching team, we came up with a definition based on a word study of this word that I want to give you today. Here's the way we think this meditation is defined. It's an ongoing, constant conversation we have with ourselves every moment of every day. Whether you realize it or not. On the inside, all day long, you are talking with yourself. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of crazy talk where you're hearing voices and we need to call someone to get you admitted somewhere. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the regular rhythm of ongoing conversation. Listen, all of us do it. Some of you are doing it right now and you're arguing with me on the inside about whether or not I'm even right about this. You're talking and processing this definition on the inside. I'd encourage you, don't think about that too long. You'll go crazy, right? But but you're, you're processing internally the information that you're hearing. They're actually people that study this for example an article came out recently in a magazine called the atlantic and the headline of the article the title was the running conversation in your head here's a quote from the article language is the hallmark of humanity it allows us to form deep relationships and complex societies but we also use it when we're all alone it shapes even our silent relationships with our And the article went on to say, one researcher was quoted as saying that on average, as human beings, we speak up to 4,000 words per minute to ourselves. I mean, think about it. That's a lot of words. But, but the, the conversation is going on. See, we don't have to explain things in great detail when we're talking to ourselves. Why? Because we know the context, right? So we can just jump from subject to subject to subject and topic to topic to topic. We're talking to ourselves. We're, we're running through a list of things always in our mind. 4,000 words a minute. Think about it. That means that per hour, you're speaking 240,000 words to yourself. That means if you're awake for 16 hours today, we're not even going to talk about what you're doing while you're asleep. But if you're awake for 16 hours today, you will speak over 3.8 million words to yourself internally. You know what that means? You're the biggest voice speaking into your life. Because on average, the people that study this tell us that we average, outwardly speaking, about 7,000 words a day. Now, I'm going to go on record 
and say, there's a couple of people in my house who will remain unnamed. <clears throat> they above average. <laughs> but let's just use the average. 7,000 words per day we speak outwardly. 4,000 words a minute we speak internally. A lot of you know this book, Moby Dick. A lot of us had to read this book when we were in school, the classic by Herman Melville. If I said to you, and it's a pretty thick book, right? If I said to you today, hey, I want you to read this book, you know what you'd do? You'd plan over the next couple of weeks, right, to try to finish this book. Some of us, it might take a couple of months to finish this book. But we'll get through this book eventually. Moby Dick has 206,000 words in this book. Meaning you will speak the equivalent of this book to yourself every hour you're awake today. Let's take it a step further. The Bible. 700,000 words in the Bible. Now, a lot of us, January the 1, we set a great spiritual goal. You even signed up with an app. You're going to... What are you going? You're going to read the whole Bible in a what? In a year. And man, we think we're doing something, right? We're going to take a whole year and read 700,000 words in the Bible. The same amount of words you'll speak to yourself in the next three hours. Now, some of you internally are already having this conversation. Okay, I get it. Let's move on to something else. We talk to ourselves. Well, that gets us to the second question. Why is the meditation of my heart important? Why is this internal conversation that's going on all day, every day, why is it significant? And there's a spiritual dynamic that I want to give you. It's an application I want to put up here on the screen. There is a direct relationship between the conversations I allow myself to have on the inside and the way I live my life on the outside. Why is the meditation of my heart even important? Here's why it's important. Everything about the way I live out here is rooted and grounded in the conversations that I allow to take place in here. The psalmist connected it. What did he say? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Why? Because he knew the words of my mouth, they're going to be driven by the meditation of my heart. Whatever the meditation of my heart is, that constant conversation that's going on on the inside, that's what's coming out on the outside. You could say it another way. You could say what fills your heart fuels your life. And this is not just taught here in Psalms. It's taught throughout the Scripture. Let me show it to you. Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 15. Look what Jesus said. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the what? Say it out loud. He said it again in Matthew chapter 12 and in Luke chapter 6. This exact statement. Listen to what Jesus said. For the mouth speaks out of that which what? Fills the heart. It's not just what Jesus taught. It was taught in the Old Testament, not just in Psalms. It's taught in Proverbs, the book of wisdom. Look at Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. Look what the Proverbs said. For as he thinks within himself, so he what? Is. One more. Psalm 119. Listen to what the psalmist said in verse 11. Your word I have what? Treasured where? In my heart. Why? 
that I might not sin against you. The psalmist knew that whatever he treasures on the, wherever he lets his heart run, whatever playground I allow myself on the inside to run around in is ultimately going to affect the way I live my life. Another verse of scripture. You'll know this verse as soon as we begin to quote it. You may not know it by the reference, but Colossians chapter 3 verse 17. Paul teaches this same principle. Look at this verse. What does it say? For whatever you say that word out loud, do. So he's talking about what? Action, right? He's talking about on the outside. Whatever you do, what does he say? In word or in deed, do all how? In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. How many of you desire for that to be the reflection of your life? Whatever you do, whatever comes out of your mouth, whatever action, I want it to be done in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God with my life. Amen? You cannot live out verse 17 if you don't read verse 15 and 16. Look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule where? In your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly do what? Dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness where? In your hearts. Here's what Paul said. I'll never in word and in deed, I'll never live a life that's pleasing to the Father until first I'm letting the peace of Christ rule in my heart. And I'm letting the word of Christ dwell richly within me. Then when I'm dwelling on him, what comes out of me is a life that whatever I do in word or deed brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus. This principle is taught over and over and over again. I will never live outwardly that which is pleasing to the Lord unless the meditation of my heart is pleasing to the Lord. It's why Paul wrote it this way in Romans. Another famous verse. Look what he said in Romans 12. Do not be what? Say it out loud. The word conformed means to literally be shaped into the mold of, to be fashioned in the form of. Here's what he's saying. Don't be conformed to what? This world. Here's what he's saying. Don't let society, don't let culture, don't let the morals of today, don't let that shape the way and fashion the way you live your life. Rather, he says, we are to be what? Transform. It's the Greek word metamorpho. We get our English word metamorphosis from it. It's describing a change that takes place on the inside that then spills out of us on the outside. Well, how does that change take place? Look at it. What does he say? By the what? Say it again. By the what? By the renewing of what? Your mind. It starts on the inside. And here's what he goes on to say. So that you may what? Prove what is the will. Here's what he's saying. When you and I begin to allow Christ to be Lord of our thoughts, when we begin to allow the very meditation of our heart to be pleasing to God, then guess what? What comes out of us is literally the will of God. Why is that? Because Christ in us, out of the overflow of this meditation, Christ begins to live his life through us so that what comes out of me is not a better me. It's literally Christ in me out of the overflow of what's happening in my heart. It's a very big deal. So, third question. If you're with me so far, say amen. Amen. Now you can say it on the inside too. (laughs) Number three. 
what is the ultimate aim of the meditation of my heart? Well, let's go back to Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be what? Be acceptable where? Hey, listen. Man, this is taking this Christian living thing to an entirely new level. The psalmist said, even down to the deepest conversations in my own heart, God, would you allow the conversation even on the inside to be acceptable? The word acceptable is a Hebrew word that means to bring pleasure or to bring joy to. It's the picture of when you're a parent, uh, my wife's over here in this service, you know, we have four children, and there's kind of a big milestone that happens. There are multiple milestones, but one of the first milestones you kind of get to in a kid's life is when you have that rite of passage where they kind of learn to ride a bicycle. It's one of those big milestone moments in the lives of kids. And you, you, know, you get them that bicycle, and you kind of teach them how to ride it. You put the training wheels on there, and you watch them ride with the training wheels. And they think they're doing great, but you're going, that ain't really it, man. You don't get it yet. That's fun, but wait till you really ride. And as you teach them how to ride, you get to a place where you take those training wheels off. And, man, now they're riding, and they're enjoying that bicycle the way it was meant to be enjoyed. And as parents, you step back, and there is a joy that you get watching them enjoy what you've given to them in a right way that only can be understood by parents that have been in that moment. Amen? Here's what the Bible says. When you and I... Take the mind and the heart that God's given us. And we don't let it just be a playground to run around in whatever we want to run around in. But we let even the deepest part of our heart be used in such a way that it glorifies and honors Him. Here's what the Bible says about that. It brings joy to our Father. He said it this way in Psalm 149. Look at this. It says, for the Lord takes, say that word out loud, pleasure. He takes pleasure in his people. This means that positionally, God is pleased with us because he sees us in Christ. But it also means practically, he's pleased as he sees Christ begin to live his life. You see, the only thing that ever pleases God in your life or mine is Jesus. It's never us. It's our position in Christ that pleases him, and it's the practice of Christ in us, living his life through us that happens out of the overflow of the meditation of our heart. And when God sees that, God says, I find joy in you, my child, in that moment. Well, that brings me to the last question. We're going to spend the rest of our time. How? How can the meditation of my heart ever possibly be right? I mean, let's just, let's, let's, let's take our church face off for a minute, and let's just be honest, all right? 
You know what I mean. We come to church. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. All the while knowing you're dying on the inside. I'm good. God's good. All the time. All the time. God's good. Let's take that off for a minute. Let's just be us. I'm struggling to even get the outside stuff right. Man, this verse takes it to a level. I ain't got a shot at this. How can I possibly? Well, in your own strength, you can't. It's impossible. But the key to the answer to the question is in reading the rest of the verse. Here's what happens for so many of us. I did it. I've done it a thousand times. I read Psalm 1940. Put it back up here. I read this verse over and over and over again. And for some reason, I jump off right here. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And I quit. But the answer to how's in the rest of the verse. You see, this is not a declarative statement. This is a prayer. The psalmist begins with the word let. Let, who, Who needs to let? Let the words of my mouth. Let the meditation of my heart be acceptable in who? Your sight. Oh, but then he gives us the answer. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, the answer is found in Jesus. He's our rock and our redeemer. So I'm going to give it to you in two statements. Number one, Jesus is my strength in moments of weakness. The word rock in the Hebrew language, you know what it means? Rock. (laughs) It's describing a firm foundation, something that is strong. The psalmist said, let the words of my mouth, let the meditation of my heart. I need a rock that I can run to in moments of weakness. Listen, will there be moments in my life when I have thoughts come into my head that aren't pleasing to God? (laughs) Absolutely. Let me tell you why. Because until Jesus comes again, we have a flesh. And listen, our flesh, your flesh, my flesh, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. Sometimes we think, man, I've been a Christian for this. How can I be a Christian this long and still have that thought? Because you put confidence in the flesh. You think flesh is getting better. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. The Bible says the outer man's decaying. My flesh is learning every day new ways to deceive me, new ways to trick me, new ways to lie to me. My flesh will lie, and my flesh will throw some thoughts in my heart. And the temptation of my flesh is to then run around in that playground. But what the psalmist is teaching us, we don't have to do that. You say, well, what do we do then? Well, let me show you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Look what it says. He says, Paul writes and he says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are, don't miss this, taking every what? Every thought what? Captive to the obedience of Christ. You say, okay, that sounds good. What in the world does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. And I'm going to be real vulnerable, all right? Let's just say it's a lustful thought. And don't look at me spiritual. You have them too, all right? 
We all have lustful thoughts that will pop. And listen, the minute you begin to think that's, you're above that as a Christian, the enemy's got you right where he wants you. That thought's coming. My flesh is that wicked. So I'm going to have a lustful thought. Flesh going to pop that in my mind. I got two options. I can allow myself to run around in that playground. And I can think, well, it ain't hurt nobody but me. Nobody knows. You can think about what that would be like, how you might live that out, where it might end up. You can, you can for a lot of time, begin to even fantasize about where something like that might take you and the joy that it might bring you. Or, when that thought pops into your head, you run to the rock. You take that same thought and you say, Jesus, my, my, my flesh is wicked. But Lord, I know that you created sexual desire. And God, you created it and you gifted it to the relationship called marriage between a man and a woman to be something beautiful. And anything outside of that, God, is not only not what you created, it's destructive for my life. Now, remember, you can you 4,000 words a minute. You can do this quick. You ain't got to say it. It's on the inside. You're just, Jesus, that, that's not you. That's not for me. You got something better. Jesus, would you let the words of my mouth and the men, and here's what happens. The, 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 the Jesus that we know becomes the rock, and what was intended to be a fiery missile of the enemy is now extinguished by intimacy with Jesus. Let me tell you what I find out. It's hard to have a conversation with Jesus and a lustful thought at the same time. You see, when you take what the enemy intended, look, look how this works. The enemy intends it to be temptation to lead us from the Father. Jesus wants to use that same temptation to lead us to a deeper intimacy with the Father in the depths of our heart. Let me put it in another arena. Anger. We can get angry on the inside, right? Maybe at work, maybe at home, maybe driving the car on the interstate. And I know what we're doing, right? We're, we're cussing them out on the inside. <laughs> I'm not talking about Christian cuss words either, like crap and dang, right? Well, I'm talking about real cuss words. Not coming out of our mouth yet, but on the inside, I am letting them have it. <laughs> Why? Because I've been wronged. What if... In that moment of temptation to run around, in that temptation to run around in that playground in my heart, I go to the rock and I say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm about to mess this up. I'm angry. They wronged me. But I realize, Jesus, they've not done anything to me that I haven't already done to you. And you've forgiven me anyway. And God, you made them in your image as an object of your love. God, I don't want to forgive them. But Christ, I'm standing on you as my rock. And I'm asking you to forgive them through me. 
See what happens? In that moment of temptation where I could have let my heart run all day and just been steaming on the Because here's what's going to happen. At some point, you steaming on the inside, it's coming out. And what's sad is most of the time, it's not going to come out at the person you intend for it to. People that didn't even do anything going to be the recipients of what's boiling on the inside. Let me give you another example. Anxiety. It's a hot topic today in the world, right? Situation, circumstance, opportunity, and all of a sudden, oh, I'm getting anxious. We start working ourselves up on the inside. What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? How's this going to turn out? I have no control over this. What am I, how am I going to fix this? Man, this is just, it's eating me alive. What if in the moment we just run to the rock and we say, Jesus, I don't have control over this, but you do. And not only that, Jesus, everything about this situation, everything about this circumstance, everything about this difficulty has been filtered through the fingers of your love for me. And everything in my life is being worked out for your glory and for my good. So I'm going to plant my feet on the rock, Jesus, and I'm going to let the meditation. And here's what the Bible says. When we begin to live like this, it brings our Father joy. Why? Because he knows what's going to come out of us is a better way of living that sets us free. If that makes sense, say amen. Amen. Now, let me give you an important key to this, all right? My mentor, Clyde Cranford, said it this way in his book. If we don't fix our hearts on God in the morning, they will fix on the next thing that comes along. So here's the bottom line. My heart, the meditation of my heart, it's looking for something every day to dabble in. And it's just like the enemy to convince us nobody knows. You're not hurting nobody. It's just you. No, here's what the Bible says. It's you and God. He knows. And if I don't fix my heart on him in the morning, so, so here are two practices, and, and, and I'm not perfect at these, But I want to give you these as kind of, they're the target for me. Practice number one, before you get out of bed, have a conversation with Jesus in your heart. Again, not perfect at it, but my target is when I wake up, when my eyes do this, the first thing that happens is in my heart. And it's rooted in a statement that I read from a man named Andrew Murray in a book called uh, The Masters in Dwelling. Listen to what he said. Andrew Murray said, every morning when God wakes you, you need to put your heart, your life, your house, and your business into the hands of Jesus. And listen, I'm telling you, when you got 4,000 words a minute, you can do it fast. It don't take but seconds. But it's just eyes open up and, and target. And listen, I'm not perfect, but I try to think, Jesus, today... I give you my heart, my desires, my thoughts, my intentions, my motivations. And then I go through the whole list. God, I give you my life, my decisions, my actions, my reactions. God, I give you my house, my family, my wife, my marriage. I give you my business, my platform, my influence. Jesus, I pray today you'll take it all. Lord, it's all yours. It belongs to you, and it's for your glory. And first thing in the morning, I try to do that before I even roll out of bed. Before my feet hit the floor, just have a conversation with Jesus in your heart. Start with Jesus. Second practice, before you begin your day, set aside time to be alone with Jesus in his word to fix your heart on him. And let me just say this as honest as I can say it. My ability to live in victory in the meditation of my heart rises and falls 
based on those two practices. When I have that little conversation with Jesus before I roll out of bed, and then when I spend time with him in the morning, guess what? I find the battle of the meditation of my heart is a lot easier to win. When I don't have that conversation with Jesus in the morning, and when I don't carve out time to be with him, let me tell you what I battle all day long, the meditation of my own heart. So Jesus is my strength in moments of weakness, but, but don't miss this. What about those moments when I fail, Pastor? Because we're going to have them, right? We're going to have moments where we let our thought life run rampant, and we kind of have this conversation with ourselves. It's not, what, what, what happens then? Oh, don't miss this. Our rock and our what? Redeemer. Here's what that means. Jesus is my Savior in moments of failure. He's my strength in moments of weakness. But even when I fail, he's my Savior. He's my Redeemer. He's already bought me back from every sin, past, present, and future. I've been set free. So when the Holy Spirit of God shows you an area where you've been living in disobedience to God in the meditation of our heart, what do we do? What John said. John said, if we confess our sin, <laughs> he is faithful and righteous to not only forgive us of that sin, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, even the stuff we don't know about yet. <laughs> Let the words of my mouth, and the meditation of my heart, acceptable here it is a prayer Lord let it happen you my rock and my redeemer let's pray Father as only you can God would you take your word and even now would you begin to speak into the lives of the people that are here Holy Spirit, would you just be free in this moment to move in our midst? And as you sit quietly before the Lord, contemplating what you've heard today, in just a moment, we're going to have a time to respond. We don't believe worship is complete without a response, a surrender. And there are two groups of people I want to talk to today. First of all, I want to talk to you today if you're already a follower of Jesus. You're already a Christian. I pray today that what you've heard is you've heard the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. Some people, they hear something like this and what they immediately have is condemnation. You start feeling guilty. Oh, man, I got all these areas. No, no, no. Listen, that's never the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not bring condemnation to the believer. The Bible says if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. That's the enemy. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings conviction. What is conviction? Conviction is not just showing you what's wrong. It's pointing you through repentance to a way that is right and pleasing to the Father. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit just doesn't make you feel guilty. The Holy Spirit is convicting you to lead you into righteousness because it's best. 
So today, if you're a Christian and you're sensing the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God about an area of the meditation of your heart, I want to invite you to just surrender. Listen, run to the rock. Embrace him as redeemer and run to the rock. We're going to have these steps up here open like an altar. Maybe you want to come and you just want to come and be alone with God and pray. You can come. We, we would love for you to come and just be alone with God and just pray about what he's doing in your heart. You can turn your seat into an altar. Or we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Teddy's going to lead us in a song that I think so appropriately applies what we've taught this morning. That we can sing as a song of worship and surrender to God. And then secondly, I want to talk to you if you're here today and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're somebody that you came to church today because you thought, man, I I want to be a Christian. That means i got to do better. So I'm here today to try to do better. Listen, that's not what being a Christian. Christianity is about a relationship with God. It's not rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. You see, you and I could never earn ourselves into a right relationship with God. But God did for us what we couldn't do on our own. Jesus came into the world. He took all of your sin and my sin on himself. And on the cross, Jesus died for our sin. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sin. So that now you and I can put our faith in Jesus. We can surrender our lives to Jesus and we get to be born again. It means to be made new in Christ, and by grace, we're forgiven of all of our sin, and we're given a relationship with God. And then when you know Him, you get to run to Him as your rock and your redeemer. But if you've never come to know Jesus, when we stand to sing in a moment, we have some pastors here at the front. You can come to any one of us, and here's all you need to say. Just say, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a personal relationship with God. Also, if you're here and you're already a Christian or if you're not a Christian and you just want to pray with one of our pastors about something in your job, your health, your family, we'd be honored to pray for you and with you. You just come. We're going to sing this song of worship. Some will come to the altar. Some will come to But as the Lord leads you, you respond. God, have your way. Holy Spirit, in this moment, as only you can, penetrate our hearts. Work in us today. Prepare our hearts for the year ahead. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.